Okay, a raise show of hands. How many of you have heard of or done the study of the Enneagram here with Mother Mary Lessman? And heard it or done her 12-week her course Any, back there? Okay, well, I'm going to encourage you. There might even be an announcement in the Sunday news about the upcoming Enneagram class for the spring. If you are able to do it, it's a daytime class, so if you're working, you might not be able to do it. But I encourage you to look at it. We had a staff retreat on Monday, and we, it was mandatory, and we were at the woman who is like the Enneagram master, guru, like she hangs out with Richard Rohr, like that's her best friend, it's amazing. Um, she travels all over the world to teach people about the Enneagram, and what the Enneagram is, it's it's a way of understanding ourselves better. I'm not going to say it's a personality test. Um, it, it's a way of understanding who we are in this world. Yes, personality is a part of it, but it goes so much deeper into that. And so we were there from 9 to 5, and we sat and listened and learned all day long. And so it was a long day. And it's, So I've just barely scraped the edge of what this is all about. But it's fascinating. And what I learned a little bit was that everybody has a passion. And that passion takes on a different form depending on who you are. But then everybody also has a fear. And that fear corresponds sort of or is in, in correlation or intention with your passion. But the other thing about all of this is, is that there's a group, and there, the Enneagram is a number, so you become a number from one to nine, depending on who you are. And there is a set of numbers, three numbers, that in particular fall in a place called the fear triad, or the fear stance. And the people and those numbers, they live their life with a little bit more fear or anxiety than maybe the rest of us do. And so I st started to think more and more about that. And as we learned about each of the numbers and we go, oh my goodness, I have friends that sound just like this person. Or I'm s I feel so bad that someone has to like hear these fearful things in their life all the time because that's kind of how they, their lens is into the world. And it, it's just fascinating. And so, sort of starting to think about fear, and man, our world is filled with lots of fear talk these days. Um, no matter where and what it is, it, you know, fear of this huge cold weather front that was coming in this weekend and everything that was gonna come with it. And for all the rest of the United States that are preparing for swaths of cold and, and snow and whatnot, until all the other fear stuff, you know what I'm talking about. I don't even need to say it but fear everywhere. And so no one is talking about, you know, grace and abundance and joy. It's just this fear. And so that, that Enneagram stuff just really got to me this week. And then this gospel was, is a little bit about fear. You know, Mary, she's most likely a relative of the of the bride's family. That's why she's there. Why, that's why Jesus is there. It's not because he's Jesus yet. He's not Jesus yet. 
but they're related to the, the bride, and they're there for this great party. And there's fear because the wine ran out. And a wedding lasts three plus days. And you have to have wine and food for your guests this whole time. And so making sure that the family is not embarrassed or looks bad or fearful of what the people there would say, Mary says to Jesus, you have to help. You have to do something to make this better. Well, of course, Jesus has very harsh tone with his mom. And he says, I am not ready to show the world what I've got. I'm not ready to show them my greatness. I'm not ready to put this out for everyone to see. They're, because they are not ready to see this yet. But I'll do this in secret to the side, and no one will even know. So Jesus kind of removes that fear from the situation, but what he provides is the best gift that could happen to any wedding. Enough wine that could last for more than three weeks. More wine than anyone could ever have imagined. And not just cheap cheap wine, not the stuff that is $2 a bottle, but stuff that is delicious and full-bodied and wonderful and just, ah, fantastic. That's why the steward says, why have you waste, waited to give the best wine last? Because they're drunk now. They don't care what they're drinking. They just want to drink. But you've saved the best for last. See, friends, that's what grace is about. Grace, yes, is that unconditional love and gift that God gives us. But grace is even more. It is an abundance of gift. It's so much that you don't even know what to do with. It's so much that you, can't, you don't even have enough friends to give it away to. And it's not just the okay stuff, but it's the best stuff. That's God's grace to us. So much that we don't know what to do with, and so good that we can't even imagine that we get this. Because we would never, ever spend that kind of money on good wine for us. Or we would never, ever spend that kind of money on anything that we think is really fabulous. You pick it out. It might be different for you. It might be chocolate. It could be a steak. It could be, who knows, perfume. But whatever is so expensive, you think, I'm never going to spend that kind of money on that because it's frivolous, or I could spend the money on something else, or I just don't need it. That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus is giving them. And if you remember, this is the first sign that Jesus did in the Gospel of John. And the first sign of what Jesus does in each gospel is very telling on how Jesus and the theology of that book is going to go. And so for the gospel of John, Jesus' first act is this miracle at Cana. And it is filled with this huge amount of grace and this abundance of love and joy and that this is what he is bringing to God's people. This is why he lives and breathes and eats and heals and teaches and preaches 
and dies and rises to new life again for us to give us this grace upon grace that is so abundant, so full, so good that we can't even imagine what to do with it. Friends, we all have a passion in us. And we all have something of abundance in us. Some days we have to dig really deep to find it. It could be love, it could be laughter, it could be joy, happiness, it could be wisdom. There's something inside of you that needs to be given out, that needs to be shared, that can benefit and be a blessing for someone else. Find a way to tap into that this week. Find a way to share this grace that God has given you. In the reading from Corinthians, Paul was talking about spiritual gifts and how each one of us is given a gift from God to go out and share the good news, to preach the gospel and share God's love with one another. We're called to do that as disciples. And then this week, we're called to find ways to cast away the fear that might be in our lives. And it might be that you just have to work on yourself this week. It might, not, might be that you feel like you don't have enough to give anybody else. And that's okay. Work on yourself this week. Try and erase whatever fear you might have. Or if you know someone who is anxious or confused or worried, offer them some space. Offer them some time so that maybe they can have a little bit of fear out of their life and bring that light that dispels some darkness. We're still in the season of epiphany. There's still lots of light to be had. So I offer that to you this week. I offer this reminder of grace, and it's not insignificant, but it's abundant and full and just rich with God's love. He has given that to us in so much, so much abundance. We have to be reminded every now and then that it's our job to share it and share God's love with each and every one we run into. May any fear that you have be dispelled and may the passions in your life fill you and move you to that place where God is calling to you. Amen.